The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who uh, has that promise of life and light for each and every one of us in this room. Lord, we pray that as we wrap up the series on 1 John. Lord, the letter to a church that was struggling to understand what their relationship with God looked like, what their relationship with Jesus looked like. Lord, I pray that you challenge us. I pray that you encourage us. I pray that you draw us closer to you, but also draw us closer to each other as well. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So as I just mentioned, we are finishing up a series called 1 John, where we've been going chapter by chapter through the entire book of 1 John. I actually missed the last two weeks, and I missed my favorite verse of all of 1 John. In fact, my favorite verse of all of Scripture, the verse that changed my life literally, where it really clicked who I was in God's family. 1 John 3.1, For how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called God's kids. And that is what we truly are. That was the verse that literally changed my life. It gave me an identity. It gave me an understanding of, oh, This is a foundation that I could build my life upon. I always wanted to be something else. I wanted to be the star football player, but look at me. I wanted to be the the smartest kid in the class, but again, look at me. Like I, I wasn't whatever I thought I was supposed to be. And then I realized that God wanted us to be his kids. In fact, that God said I was his child. And being a son of God was better than being a prince. It was better than having superpowers. It meant that I was directly in the family of the God who created the universe. And that transitional thinking changed how I looked at everything else. And the book of 1 John, again and again and again, emphasizes that we are called to be God's kids. When I was in college in early young adulthood, a mentor brought me under his wing. He called himself Bob the Gray. It was a bunch of nerdy guys, so we all liked Lord of the Rings. Eventually, he became Bob the White, completing the Gandalf transition as he aged. And we would get together once a week, and he would buy us breakfast at a diner. And so this really just greasy spoon, perfect for dudes, right? And we would sit down, and his main emphasis was for us to know that God was our Father, and how understanding our identity as children of God changed everything. So week after week, year after year, in fact, he still texts me today. It was his birthday a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, you taught me to delight and dance with the Father. And the reason why I bring up Bob the Gray or Bob the White now is that's really who John the Elder, the author of 1 John, is. He sees the entire church as his younger brothers and sisters, and he's trying to drive home the point, guys, you are children of God. You are in the family. And being in the family gives you privileges. It gives you opportunities to love. It gives you purpose. And it connects you to Jesus. And so as we finish up First John today, My challenge, my encouragement to you is to not look at this purely as, all right, this is just God's word for today, but to look at it through the lens of this is an older brother or sister in faith who is encouraging me and my faith to follow in the same footsteps. It's a family member writing a love note of encouragement to us as his family members. Starts off. 1 John 1.5, and it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, well, they're born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And in fact, 
This is love for God to keep his commands. Last couple weeks, Matt Tolander, when he was going through 1 John 3, emphasized that the more you love God, the easier it is to love others, right? And that's true. And if you want to love a parent, one of the easiest ways to do that, to show a parent love, is to love their kids, right? Those of you who are parents in this room, think about it. The teachers, the spiritual leaders, the other family members who have invested in your children, they're literally loving you in that moment, aren't they? And so if you are ever concerned or you're ever wondering, how do I love God back? What does that look like? It's more than just singing a song on Sunday morning. It's more than just saying thank you. And those are ways to love God. I am not knocking those. But the truest form of love for God, according to 1 John, is to love his kids. To love the other children in the family that he made and he designed and he has plans for and he wants to bring the best out of. John writes to the early church and he says, guys, you want to love God? You want to love your father? Then look out at the rest of the family and invest in them. Sacrifice yourself for them. Bring out the best in them. Point them back to God. Point them back to the family. Wrap your arms around them because when you're wrapping your arms around God's kids, you're wrapping your arms around God as well. And John says, guys, God has beautiful plans for you. He has beautiful plans for this family. And one of the ways that we respond to those plans is by taking part in them via loving our neighbor as ourselves, Loving the brothers and sisters in the faith in this room at the 930 service, but then also loving the neighbors at the end of the cul-de-sac. Because they were designed and created by God as well. And he says, when you love them, you love me. He continues on and he says, and his commands, they're not burdensome, guys. For everyone born of God has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even in our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Well, only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We live in chaotic times. You turn on the news, and if it's not how we are politically divided, then it's some scary virus that's somewhere across the world that's slowly making its way over here. Or it's the doctor's appointment that you have to go to, not sure what's going to happen next. Or it's what's happening around your family table, and you're like, why is it always like this? We live in chaotic times. We live in storming times. And what John says is, guys, when you are connected to Christ, you will survive the storm. I've really been jamming on the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the sections of Scripture is a promise from Jesus, and he says, when the storms come, he doesn't say if the storms come, mind you, right? He doesn't say, hey, a storm might come your way. No, storms are coming. You're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're on your way out of a storm, but it's just a secular pattern that we go back over and over and over again. So he says, when the storms come, he goes, anyone who builds their life on my truth, on a relationship with me, is like those who build their house on a rock. He says, the storm will come. The winds will blow. The waters will rise. But the storm will recede, and you will stand. John writes to the early church and he says, guys, when you are with Christ, yes, there is going to be chaos. Yes, there are going to be times where you don't know what to do, but there is a promise, there is security that you are on a rock that will withstand any storm. And so he writes to the early church, he says, my younger brothers, my younger sisters, please stick with Jesus. 
Stick on his truth. Stick in that relationship. Hold to him when the storms are the hardest, and I promise you will not drown. The storm will not overtake you because we have a God of life and light and beauty and strength, and he has invited you into relationship with him. And this is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and by blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given us about his Son. So whoever believes in his Son, the Son of God, accepts this testimony. See, everything in Scripture has always been pointing toward Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us toward Jesus. When I was growing up, this was one of the areas that I really wrestled with because I couldn't figure out who the Spirit was. I had a box for God the Father because I had a dad. I had a box for Jesus the Hero because I love comic books, so I'm very familiar with heroes. But then I would get to the Spirit, and I'm like, what in the world is this thing? But as I grew, I realized that if God the Father is the author of the story and Jesus the Son is the hero of the story, then the Spirit is the narrator of God's story. And the narrator's job is always to point to the hero. And that's what the Spirit does throughout all of Scripture, right? He speaks and life comes into existence. Let there be light. And what happens? There's light. In the same way, if I'm reading a book and it says the sky is blue outside, what color is the sky? It's blue. Because the narrator has the power to speak life into existence and the Spirit testifies about Jesus the Messiah and it has always been testifying about Jesus the Messiah. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always pointing towards the story. And so he says, so the Spirit and the water, and the blood, what we call those sacraments, the sacred moments, where God says, you're going to enter into this story. So when we preach, when we sing songs, we're telling the story of this Jesus guy. Not just in what he has done in the past, but what he's doing in the present, through your life, through the active body of Christ. We proclaim to the Spirit. But then, through baptism... We enter the story. We are again washed and clean and brought into God's family through communion. The Lord's Supper. Take and eat. This is my body, which I will break for you. Enter into the story. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant, a new promise, a new way to connect to God. We continually find ways to re-enter into the story of a Messiah, of a God who is fighting for you. He was bringing you into the family and is connecting you to the rest of the family into a very broken world. Which then makes sense why he would go on and says, so whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given us about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Jesus came and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He says, whoever comes through me comes to the Father, and whoever does not have me does not have the Father. Within Christianity, theologians would call this the scandal of particularity. In modern day, it's Jesus or bust. And the reason isn't because God's malicious. It's not that he is angry at anyone else. In fact, we find in Scripture that because of Jesus, because God is love, as AJ talked about last week, he will go to any length to have a relationship with you. But here's the trick. We can't reach up to him. The Old Testament, again and again and again, we tried to reach up to God. We tried to be perfect. We tried to reconnect. And what we found again and again and again was we couldn't reach up to heaven. So heaven, so love, as AJ said last week, came down. Love made the heavens and the earth. Love became flesh and made his dwelling among us incarnate and said, you don't have to reach up to me anymore. See, I'm already here. And I want to wrap my arms around you. And I want to show you what real life in light looks like. And I'm willing to go to any length, including to die to be humiliated, to be nailed to a cross, that you might be righteous and beautiful and clean, and that you might be sent out to help others be in right relationship with God through a God who is love incarnate and here among us. Amen. He reaches out and says, guys, through Jesus we have that promise of life. We don't have to go looking for it for someone else. We don't have to build it ourselves. It's here. It's with you. And so the elder John reaches out to the younger Christians and says, guys, he's already here. Cling fast to him. He continues on. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we had asked of him. When the storms come, when the waters rage, when we are at our darkest moment, we can feel so alone. But what we find in Scripture is that when we call out to God, the Father hears you. Your Father hears you. You're never alone. Love incarnate is walking with you, is fighting for you, is answering your prayers, not always in the way you would want, not always in the way that's comfortable, but it is a promise, and that promise is for you, that promise is for your children, and that promise is for all who God will call to be brought into his family. We have a father who is fighting for us and who hears us, and we don't have to be alone, John says. We stand on that rock, and we have direct connection to a father who can literally change the fabric of reality around us, around our families, around our communities, and around our world. Amen. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray for them, and God will give them life. Now, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray about that. This is one of those mo moments in Scripture. I'm just going to pause 
Because whenever I read this, right, my mind immediately goes to, wait, John, you can't just say that and then move on, right? Like, what is that sin? Is that like talking in the movie theater? Is that cheating on my taxes? Is that talking back to my mom? Like, what is this sin that leads to death, right? And this is one of those moments where it's good just to reflect and to understand when there is a spot in Scripture that is confusing, step back and look and say, okay, let's look at it through the light of Scripture that's not confusing. So we use Scripture of clarity to understand Scripture of unclarity. All right? And in this, it actually becomes pretty simple. Jesus talks about the one sin that can't be forgiven. In fact, he talks about it in all four of the Gospels. He says, I can forgive anything. Your Father in heaven will forgive anything. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. God can forgive you. God will forgive you. Because the one thing he will not forgive, something called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's just rejecting God. And the reason why he can't forgive that, the reason why he won't forgive that, is because the one thing God will not do is turn you into a robot. He will not force you to love him. He will not force you to receive grace, that divine favor he has for all of his kids. When he created the world, he said, I'm not doing robots. I want a relationship with living, thinking, beautiful beings, but I am not going to shove that relationship down your throat. And so when John says the one sin that leads to death, it's literally saying, God, I don't need you. And not just saying that once, but literally severing the relationship and walking in a different direction. But the beauty of this scripture is he says, guys, for those of you who are wrestling with sin, whether it's addiction, whether it's a relationship that you just keep mucking up over and over and over again, whatever it is, he says, guys, there is an off-ramp. There is a God who says you don't have to be bound by that anymore. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue the sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. The evil one can't harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What John is saying is we as Christians get to provide an off-ramp of sin for others. And we don't do that by saying, hey, let me tell you how I figured it all out. Let me tell you how when I look in the mirror, man, that guy is awesome. Right? It's actually the opposite way for all of us because we're all broken. Me as pastor included at the front of that line. The off-ramp to sin is not us figuring it out. The off-ramp is coming to God and asking for forgiveness. A posture of repentance where we're like, you know what, I don't know the right thing to do. My own best thinking has gotten me into all kinds of trouble. But I have a father who says, I'm going to teach you a different way to think. I'm going to create a new spirit inside of you, this Holy Spirit that is going to narrate God's story in you and help you live differently, help you love differently. And so how do we model getting out of the bondage of sin? By sharing our experience of a God who liberated us, who teaches us a new posture, who allows him to be God and us not to be God. And in that, there is freedom and there is grace. 
And there is that light in life that God is promising each and every one of his kids. And then he ends, and this is one of my favorite endings to a book. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. That's it. Mic drop, right? And the reason, again, think about this from a father, an elder figure who is reaching out to his younger brothers and sisters. If any of you have ever dropped off your kids at a summer camp or at college, right, and you give them hugs and you're saying all kinds of encouraging things, but then like there's like this list of last minute things you want them to know, like don't forget to wash your underwear, don't forget to call me on Sundays, don't forget, don't forget, don't, right? You have like this last minute. That's essentially what John is doing here. Dear children, keep yourself away from idols. Why is this so important? Because whenever we trust in anything other than God for our security, that thing can't protect us. Our bank accounts will not protect us. Our jobs will not protect us. Our families cannot protect us. These are all gifts from God. These are good things. We can celebrate those things. We can have those things. But if we find our security in them, John says, guys, it's going to get in the way of your foundation with Jesus. And then when the storms come, you're going to find yourself a lot more wobbly than you want to be. But when you have the foundation with Jesus, when you keep yourself, when you keep reminding yourself, yeah, this thing is good, but it is not where I find my security. It's not where I find my ultimate sense of peace. You're going to be on that firm foundation that will last into eternity. And you'll experience that light in that life. We're going to enter into the story as John said. Via the Spirit, through water and blood. We're going to go into what we call a sacrament, a sacred moment, called the Lord's Supper. Where again, the story of Jesus becomes real. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to each of his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which I will break for you. In the same way also after the supper, he took the cup and we had given thanks. He said, drink of it, all of you. This cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. A new covenant, a new way to connect to God, a new promise and a new way to commune, to have community union with the family of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you aware that uh, we are still broken Lord, that the people in the mirror are not reflecting you in all the fullness that you would have us. Lord, that there is still sin. So we come before you boldly as family members, as children of God, asking for forgiveness, asking for your light in your life and that spirit to again speak truth, that we may be speakers of truth and light and life to all you bring into our lives. Lord God, we ask this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.